Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Forgotten True Crime by Oki Investigations, the true crime podcast where we tell the stories of crimes that happened long ago. If you're a true crime fan, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. That way, when we have new episodes, you will be the first to know. Also, check us out on our Facebook page, Oki Investigations, and visit our blog over at truecrime.blog. Parts of the story may contain opinions and speculations and should be taken as such. These stories depict violent crimes of all types and may be a trigger for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hello everyone and welcome to the show. I spent the last month getting a lot ready for this year. So far I have about 30 cases that I'm researching and doing write-ups on. Not all of them would become podcasts. Some of them will just be you know, uh, small episodes and some become dead ends or are just way too short to be put into a podcast and some will become, you know, huge, like multi-part episodes. This has been an enormous undertaking. It has been a lot of fun to dig through. The end goal here is to provide you with the best and most accurate content that I can provide. 2021 was a massive year for us, and I want to make 2022 even more significant. But we are in the month of February, the month of love. We decided to start an annual event called Be Mine. This will feature true crime stories of love and loss. Many of these stories do not feature a happily ever after, but rather full of misery forevermore. This is a story of shock and betrayal, fear and love. This story is unique in many ways, but deep down, it's like many others that we've covered over the years. Today, I'm bringing you a story of forbidden love, one forgotten through time and yet seems so familiar. This story first takes place on June 13th, 1929, near Ohio State University. Two college students were just arriving at the New York Central Railroad Rifle Range. This range was a popular spot for shooters in the area. It featured some of the best shooters in the country. These two young men were the first on the range for that day. The shooting field was overgrown. The grass was about knee-high or just a little taller. The boys walked out to place their targets, and one of them noticed something in the distance. It almost looked like someone was sleeping in the tall grass. The boy pointed it out to his friend, and they went to investigate. What they found 
they would never forget. A woman was lying in the field. Her head was beaten and bloody. As they got closer, they knew that she was dead. They quickly left the rifle range and alerted the police to what had happened. One of the first detectives on the scene was Chief of Detectives W.G. Schallenbarger. The detective advised everyone to stay back from the body. He wanted to observe the area before they went in. He could see the tracks that the two boys made with the tall grass being bent over. He followed them to where they placed their targets, and then their tracks heading to the body. You see, when you move through tall grass like that, it parts the grass enough for you to know where you had been. But besides their tracks, there were no others in the area, none that led to or from the body. So this made the detective believe it had been there for just a little while. The grass had time to reposition itself, and those tracks were now gone. He then allowed the other detectives to move in. As the detective checked the body, the other officers were combing through the tall grass, looking for anything that could be evidence. Detective Schellenbarger and the coroner counted multiple blows to the head. They were rounded, so they thought it might be from a hammer. The coroner noted the roundness of each impact and believed it to be a ball-peen hammer, the type that has a rounded head. Her throat and body had several deep slashes as well. The detective searched the woman's personal belongings. He found a set of keys in her pocket, but nothing else to help identify the woman. The search was completed just hours later. Nothing was found on the rifle range. No hammer or knife was left at the scene. The coroner took the mystery woman back to his office, where he would start his investigation on the manner of death. But this woman would not be a mystery woman for long. Two sisters who attended Ohio State University were very worried about their roommate, who had not returned to the dorm from a date. So they decided to go to the police station and tell the authorities about the situation. They described the missing woman to a detective who thought it matched the woman found on the rifle range. The two sisters were named Alice and Beatrice Buston. The detective led them to the morgue to see if they could identify the woman found that morning. When they were shown the body, they positively identified her as Fiora K. Hicks, their missing friend. The police questioned the two girls about what they knew of Miss Hicks' movements yesterday. They both stated that she had gone to the hospital to see if she could get a part-time job there to earn some extra money. She was a medical student and was interested in the work. She had also told them that she had a date that night. They were surprised because Miss Hicks never dated anyone. She was very focused on school. The sisters didn't know much about her private life. 
They said she was seen with an older man in a small car several times around campus. But they didn't know the nature of that relationship. They thought he was a faculty member. She had also been seen with another man closer to her age. He might be a student or a young staffer. Besides that, they didn't know much about Miss Hicks. She kept mostly to herself and offered very little to anyone. The only thing they remember her saying was that her family was from Florida, and that was it. The detective then worked on notifying the next of kin. In this case, it was Miss Hicks's parents. The police contacted the school, who gave them the parents' contact information. They then made contact with her parents. Miss Hicks's parents were absolutely devastated to learn of the news of their daughter's death. They had not seen her for quite some time since she had started school, and now they would never see her alive again. They started the long drive to Ohio from Florida when notified of the news. Detective Shellen Barger then decided to follow up on Miss Hicks' movements throughout the day. He had already spoken to her roommates, but they said that she had left to find work at a hospital. So that was the next place that he went. It was found out that the hospital did indeed see Miss Hicks that previous day, and they hired her on the spot. They started to train her on operating the phone switch line, and then she had to go. She told them that she had a date to go on, but provided no information or names about that date. It was very odd that the name of the person that she had a date with was such a mystery. But the thing about small towns is, you know, news travels fast. This is doubly true on a school campus. The news of Miss Hicks's murder spread like a wildfire across the campus. And that's when the police received their first big tip. The police received several tips about Miss Hicks, but several that came in all at once was that she was often in the company of a teacher at the school, Professor James Snook. They had seen her in his car just a day or two ago. This was surprising because James Snook was not just a teacher at the school. He was a local celebrity. He once held the world record for pistol shooting and was a gold medalist in the 1920 Summer Olympic Games for 50-meter team pistol shooting. He taught veterinary medicine at Ohio State University and had done so for some time, making a name for himself as a senior member of the faculty. The detective called the school to see where Professor Snook was. His assistant told him that he believed that he went to the shooting range, where he spent most of his time. This is the same shooting range where they found Miss Hicks. 
They immediately went to check, and indeed, they found the professor there shooting a rifle, and they brought him in for questioning. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The detectives wanted to know what the professor knew about Ms. Hicks, and they needed to rule him out as a suspect. So, they needed to know his movements for the previous night. The professor told them that he and Ms. Hicks were professional friends, nothing else. She was in his car because he was putting together a book, and he needed her help with typing. They had discussed payment for the service. One thing that the detective noted right away was that Professor Snook's hand was bandaged. They asked about the injury, and the professor told them that he had hurt his hand while working on his car. The professor told the police that the night of the murder, he had stayed late in the office. He didn't leave until 7 or 8 p.m. He then drove to the country club to get some shooting glasses, and then he purchased a newspaper on the way home. He then met his wife at home, right around 9.30 p.m. Professor Snook believed that the night watchman could confirm with the police that he was indeed in the office, and that others from his stops would do the same and verify his movements. Officers would start verifying the professor's statements, but Detective Schellenbarger received an intriguing phone call from the coroner's office before they could. A man had just left his office. He asked to view the body of Theora Hicks. The man was upset about her death and stated that he knew her well. His name was Myron Myers, and he fit the description of the person who was a little closer to her age that Ms. Hicks had been seen with recently. So detectives sent officers to find Mr. Myers. Mr. Myers was a state employee. He actually worked for the State Department of Agriculture and conducted research at Ohio State University. They would start there to find out where he was staying while researching. Detective Schellenbarger went to the professor's office and spoke with his staff. They didn't work as late as the professor did, so they couldn't really tell them one way or the other if the professor had indeed stayed late that day. The detective then checked with the staff about what they did know about the professor's movements today. And that's when they gave up some interesting information. You see, that morning when the professor first came in for the day, he had his staff take care of and clean his car. It wasn't unusual for him to have them to do so, but it was the first thing he had them do that day. 
Now, the professor's car had been left at the shooting range where they had picked him up. So Detective Schellenbarger then returned to the station to pick up the keys to the car. And then he began getting a warrant to search the professor's vehicle and Mr. Meyer's vehicle. In the meantime, officers located Marion Myers, the state worker. He was at a fraternity house on campus. He was arrested on suspicion and was brought into the station for questioning. The entire time, he pleaded with the officers that he had nothing to do with the murder, but they told him to cooperate, and he had nothing to do with it. He had nothing to worry about. When Mr. Myers arrived at the police station, Detective Schellenbarger immediately interviewed him. When asked about his relationship with Miss Hicks, he said he'd been close friends with her about two years ago, but their friendship had cooled, and he said he was in Columbus Thursday night and had returned to Bono when a fraternity brother called him early today to tell him of Miss Hicks' death. Thinking it might be a joke, he phoned the police to see if it were true. He then said he came back to Columbus. Once they received the warrant to search both suspects' cars, they did so right away, starting with Dr. Snook's car. When they arrived at the shooting range, they were a little disappointed. The vehicle had indeed been cleaned very well. It was evident that the exterior and interior of the car had been detailed precisely. But they still searched. Blood has this way of seeping into areas that no one really thinks to clean. They looked under flooring and in creases, but they really found nothing. Only when they opened the passenger door, one of the detectives noticed what looked like a small drop of blood in the door jam. He carefully collected the sample. The sample would be taken to the police chemist to see what it was exactly. You see, back in 1929, we didn't have DNA evidence, but we could identify blood and type it. If it matched the same type as the victim, it would be just one more piece of evidence of who may have committed the crime. It would take several days for the chemist to have results, but it was their first lead. They also impounded Mr. Meyer's car and conducted a search on it as well. Unlike the professor's car, Mr. Meyer's didn't appear to have been recently cleaned. It had more of a used look to it, but didn't contain anything that seemed like blood. They continued searching both vehicles. In the professor's vehicle, they also found a ball-peen hammer, like the one believed used in the murder. They also found some stained gloves. They too were taken by the chemist to see if they had blood on them. With this possible evidence, Detective Schellenbarger could obtain a warrant to search the professor's house. The detectives in this case were moving as fast as they could. They had held both men on suspicion, 
But if they didn't charge them with a crime, they had to let them go after 48 hours. Focusing on Professor Snook at the moment, the detectives worked on getting a warrant to search his house. The scope of the search would be for the articles of clothing or items that appear to have blood on them. Once they obtained this warrant, they quickly moved in to search the home. Miss Snook was home, and she let the detectives in with little protest. She hoped that the lack of evidence would prove her husband's innocence. She was the main alibi for her husband, and she told officers that he had been with her after 9.30 p.m., and that he never left the house once he got home. Once inside the home, they found a couple of items. One was a piece of dry cleaning that was just picked up from the dry cleaners. It was a jacket of the professor's. It had stains on the sleeve that could have been blood. The slip showed it was dropped off the day after the murder. The other was not discovered until they looked into the home's furnace. Inside was a shirt with stains on it and a woman's vanity case. Miss Snook had no idea why these items were placed in the furnace. Now detectives were starting to lean toward Professor Snook as their primary suspect. They still needed to rule out Marion Myers, but things were looking up for him. Mr. Myers had told them all along that he didn't learn of Miss Hicks' death until a friend called him. The police interviewed this friend, and he told them the exact same story. He actually called long distance to speak with Mr. Myers, and that he was shocked to learn of her death. With no evidence against him, detectives decided to take one more shot at cracking him before letting him go. Detectives took Mr. Myers to the morgue where Miss Hicks's body was. They made him look at her and the damage that had been done to her. It was said that he showed little emotion during this. When he didn't break and tell them more information, the detectives decided to let him go. On his way out of the police station, Mr. Meyer said little as he got into the car. The only statement he made was that he was now scared of Professor Snook. Now, with just one suspect, the detectives who had been taking it somewhat easy on Professor Snook now were changing gears and coming at him much harder. They refused to let him rest or sleep. For hours, they would slowly reveal the evidence they found against him. First, they told him what they believed that he killed Miss Hicks and transported her body to the shooting range. They thought that the blood-like stain on his car was from the professor closing the door on her hand when she tried to escape. She had an injury on her hand that looked like it had been in in a door that closed on her. The detectives then showed him the charred articles of clothing that didn't thoroughly burn in his furnace. 
and the cleaned jacket that looked like it had bloodstains on it. But as they brought each piece of evidence out, it didn't seem to faze the professor in any way. He sat there, unmoving and uninterested in what they had to say. But the next thing that the detectives revealed changed all of that. Because they had a new witness come forward. Who was this witness? Find out next time on part two of this story, debuting next week. I hope you all enjoyed this series so far. This is only a two-parter. And I think it's a great story. This was incredible to research, so make sure you rate the podcast and share it with a friend. We want to grow and provide more content to you all. The only way that will happen is with your help. You can follow me and my exploits on social media. The links are in the description. I hope you all have a great week, and I will see you all next time. See ya. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.